The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles, you stay turned there to Matthew. That's where we're going to be. Our message will be this morning in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 through 21. And during the Advent season, we look at four things, really. Hope, love, joy, and peace. And we're going to continue to do that. And this morning, we find ourselves asking the question, what is hope? I want you to think about that question. What is hope? And I want you to think about, maybe to make it a little more personal, what, what is the last thing you hoped for? It could be something very simple. It could be something very big. Maybe, maybe you've hoped for a raise. Maybe you're hoping for a Christmas bonus. Uh, maybe, maybe you're part of some team and you just hope to, to win a game. You know, maybe, maybe you're a, a fan of uh, SMCC. They are in the volleyball. They won the volleyball state playoffs and the football state playoffs. And I have to imagine there were a lot of prayers the night before from parents and kids just asking God, please let us win this game, right? This is a big game. And they, they hoped that they would win that game. And to their credit, they, they saw it through. And that's a big, a big thing for them. But I don't know what, what you've hoped for. For me, it's kind of trivial. I've just hoped for a night of rest for a while. Um, I was blessed to have one a couple nights ago, but we hope for different things all the, all the time. And like I said, it could be something very trivial all the way to something very major, something that could be life-changing. The problem is when we talk about hope in this way, it's just a wish, right? It's a, and I just, I just hoped that that would happen. I mean, I mean, using my example, if I'm being very honest, every night when I go to bed, I know my hope is not going to be realized. It's just not going to happen. There's no way, shape, or form for it to take place. I'm not going to get a lot of sleep. Too many kids in my household right now. And so it's almost silly to even hope for it, right? But it's this wish, it's this idea that, man, I just, I just wish this would happen. I, I wish this would take place. Well, as we come into our first Sunday of Advent, and this being hope and the fact that hope is found in Christ. I want us to understand first that when the Bible speaks of hope, it's very different than the hope that I just talked about. When the Bible speaks of hope, it, it's, it's more than a wish. It's actually something that is sure. It's something that is concrete. It's something that 100% is going to happen and is going to take place. There is no doubt whatsoever in our hearts or in our minds. This is what our hope lies in. And so as I talk about hope, I, I want you to think that way, okay? Not not about a, a wish or, you know what, Pastor, that's good that you hope in Jesus, but my hope is in different things. No, that, that can't be. Okay, that can't be by the definition that we are using for hope, which is concrete, which is sure. Ever since creation, as you read in Scripture, man has been searching for hope. It's what we look for. It's what we want. It's what gets us up in the morning. We look for hope sometimes in other people. We see that again unfolding in Scripture. We, we look for hope sometimes in our own intelligence and in our own ability to, to do what we want. Or sometimes we look for hope in the physical force of, of something. And that's what we're going to really look at this morning as we dive more into it. But what we see in Scripture and what we see, even if you study history at all, is that there is no hope found in these things. All it has produced is, is strife, is, is struggles all throughout history. 
But yet we continue to relive history over and over again, putting our hope in these things. I mean, if you look at our education system, the hope of America lies in our kids being educated, we're told. If our kids are just smarter, we'll be better down the road. If we'll just teach them more, if we'll just train them more, we will get better. So that's putting hope in intelligence, right? Putting hope in knowledge. But it, it doesn't seem to work. Through Jesus, what God the Father has done for us is he's given us hope. He's given us a hope that is sure. He's given us a hope that is true. He's given us a hope that works. And this is the hope that we must look to, not in the other things that we hope for. No, our hope needs to be cemented in Christ. But the issue is, is our hope did not come how we expected it to come. When Jesus came to the earth, as we'll talk about here in a moment, it didn't come how everybody expected it to come. And therefore, it wasn't really welcomed because it wasn't what was thought to be the right way. Hannah just read Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 to 21, but I want you to look back to verse nine. I want to read verse nine through 14 to kind of give us some context to our, to our passage this morning. It says, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. This is Jesus. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Now, if we stop there for a moment, you might say, man, this would really wake people up. This would really wake people up if this happened. Well, then we get to verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. You see, what was happening here is Jesus comes into the world as our hope. But he wasn't coming into the world the way that people wanted him to. And so the Pharisees were not happy with how he was conducting himself, was not happy about how he was talking about the law and dealing with the law. And so therefore, they wanted to see him destroyed. They couldn't refute what he was saying because they know that if their sheep fell, they'd pick the sheep up and keep moving on. They couldn't tell him that a sheep was more valuable than a, than a man. They knew that they couldn't say that. Couldn't refute anything that Jesus was talking about, yet they hated the hope that he provided because it wasn't the hope that they longed for. It wasn't the hope that they had desired or it didn't look like they wanted it to look. First real point I think of our message this morning is that hope is not in the plans of man. There are people in life, I don't know what type of person you are, but you're, the people close to you know exactly what type of person you are. Some of you are plan makers. You, you make plans and you lay it out. Maybe you make lists and you like, to, you like to check off the list. Others of you feel you're in prison when there's a list, right? You, you feel strapped down when there is a plan and you, you, don't, you don't like that. But in life, we have to have plans. And throughout history, we can see again, there have been good plans and there have been bad plans. Well, what we're seeing here is that Jesus's plan, God the Father's plan, was very different from that of man. Very different. 
And so the Bible speaks frequently as we read God's word, as you, as you look at the whole counsel of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, it speaks about the plan of God, about God's sovereignty in history, about his plan for everything. But yet what we see is man's plan seems to vary greatly. There's a wrapper that I keep on my desk from a piece of candy. It was from a Dove chocolate. And uh, Dove chocolate, if you, if you unwrap it, they always have these little, these little sayings on there. And, and this one that I keep on my desk, it says, everybody has a happy ending. If your life isn't happy, then it's, it's not over. That's the saying. Now, I don't keep that on my desk to motivate me to be happy in life. I keep that on my desk to remind me, this is what we're fighting against. Man, that, that's man's hope is, is happiness. Man's hope is to succeed in this world. That is the plan of man. I mean, it's even in our candy wrappers or on a Snapple bottle when you open it and read their little things that they have. They have these little things that they think are gonna help people, but it's just false. Happiness, comfort, security, money, love, etc. all these different things. This is man's plan for hope. This is where it will be found. Those searching for the Messiah in the passage that we've been re- that we are reading here this morning, they saw hope to happen in the Messiah. Yes, but politically, intellectually, with power, with might. But they were badly mistaken because when Jesus came, it was kind of the opposite. That's why the Pharisees would look for reasons to destroy him. They didn't want to see this happen. They don't want to see a meek guy. They don't want to see a suffering savior. They want authority. In the church, we still struggle with this, I think, if we're really honest with ourselves. You know, it says in our, in our passage there, in verse 12, it goes down and it talks about a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. I run into so many Christians who feel it's their job to break reeds and to snuff out flames that are slowly going out on their own. They want to be in battle all the time. They want to fight every single day. And so we think the way that we're going to usher in the kingdom of God is by force, is by intellectualism, or even politically. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, we'll talk about this more in the moment, but that was the strategy of evangelicals. Infiltrate politics. Infiltrate Congress. Get into the Senate When we do that, when we get Christians there, guess what will happen? We'll be a Christian nation again. But instead, what happens is when those Christian men get into place, greed takes over, pride takes over, sin begins to take over. Why is that? Because that's not God's plan. That's man's plan. And man's plan will fall apart. God's plan is perfect. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But it is perfect. We would be encouraged in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race, notice this, that is set before us, the race that God has set before us, his plans. Is it easy? No. We have to constantly be letting go of things, getting rid of the weight, 
getting rid of the sin and continue to run. It's not an easy task, but it's something that we are called to do, to trust in the plan of God, not in man's own plan. We must run this race. Jesus ran his race and we look to him as it would continue down in Hebrews 12 verses three and four. We look to him. And the interesting thing is as you study Christ, he would not let this plan be interrupted by man. He didn't give in to the Pharisees. He didn't all of a sudden say, okay, let's have a, a real dialogue, maybe like they wanted. He, he didn't say, okay, you're right about this in the law. No, he never backed away from his father's plan. He stayed true to the plan. And so in man's plans, again, there was three things. Number one was political prowess. That's what they were looking for. Their hope was not in Jesus. Their hope wasn't just in a savior, but their hope was in what this savior might bring politically to their world. Think about it. If Jesus was a politician back then, he would have bewildered everybody. No doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. He could have been one of the best. He could have got to office. He could have been what people wanted. If you look at John chapter six, verse 15, this is after feeding, feeding the 5,000. It says, Jesus perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, not to kill him, to make him king. To make him king, what does he do? Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why did he do that? That doesn't make sense to me. And the way I've been taught, the way I've grown up, if Jesus would have just took his kingship then, man, think of all the problems that would have been solved, right? Think of how perfect everything would have played out. I mean, he could have just took over. We would have had that perfect king in place. But yet, It says Jesus withdrew himself to the mountains because it wasn't time for him to be king. You see, the plan of the father was it's not yet time for this to happen. Other things must happen first before this takes place. And so Jesus withdrew himself. And what we see in Christ here is we see his meekness. We see how humble he is. We see how even self-controlled he is. Now, this word meek comes up in Matthew as well. Matthew Matthew chapter five, at the very beginning in the Beatitudes, it says those who are meek will inherit the earth. It's not an attribute many of us want maybe labeled with us. Uh, Man, Tim is a great guy. He's so meek. Well, that sounds weak. (laughs) I don't really want that, right? Say he's humble, but meek just sounds sounds poor. I don't want to be meek. But what we see here with Christ is he's being meek. He's, He's very humble. Man, the humanity side of him could say, king, bring it on. Everybody bow to me right now. But no, we see the self-control that he had to fulfill the plans of the father. And it wasn't in the politics of the day. That wasn't his focus. That wasn't his goal. Also, not just in his political prowess, but his mental prowess. Jesus could have had the greatest university of all time. Christ University or whatever he wanted to call it, right? Jesus University. And everybody, absolutely everybody would have came there. Everybody would have wanted to learn. Everybody would have wanted to sit under him because of his, because of what he would have taught. We see this, right? Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse two. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear 
of the Lord. You see this promise of the Messiah, this wisdom that he would have. Look at how he handled people. I'm gonna go through some verses here really quickly. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 43. It says, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is Jesus talking to the people. And this is a revolutionary idea that he is sharing with them. I mean, don't, don't lord it over people, but humbly submit yourself to people. Or in Luke chapter 14, verse five through six, how he handled opposition with wisdom. It says, and he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, they will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. I could have picked so many different passages for that, right? We see where Jesus addresses the authorities and they're just dumbfounded. They, they don't know what to say. Maybe it's when Jesus kneels down with the woman who's committed sin and they've, they've thrown her at his feet and they're kind of seeing, well, what's he gonna do with this woman? And he looks at them and what does he say? He says, any one of you who haven't sinned, go ahead and, and stone her. Throw them at her, kill her. If you have no sin, do it. And what, did they, what does the Bible say? They slowly dropped their rocks and had to walk away, dumbfounded, not knowing what to do, always trying to catch him. But Jesus was too wise. He was, he was way too smart. In Matthew chapter seven, verse 29, it says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We see here in this passage of what it must have been like to sit under Jesus and to hear him teach and the authority that he taught with and how he must have just captured the people's attention with the things that he was saying, obviously showed some sort of leadership there. So we see all of these things that describe Jesus. Yet he didn't use this great knowledge. He didn't use this great wisdom to go and to take over and to force the kingdom to come. No, we see his humility. The greatest teacher of all time takes 12 men under his wing. One of them a traitor. And those are the ones that he teaches continually. Those are the ones that he leads and lives life with. Man, today, if you have a good teacher, what do you do? You get him on TV. You get him on the radio. You give him a podcast. You build up a webpage for him and you call it some fancy name of ministry. And you pump his material out for everybody to hear, right? Because we've got to get it out. This is the answer. This is the source. Jesus didn't come during this age for that to happen for him. No, he humbly took 12. He did not lord himself over people in a way that would belittle them. This is something sadly that I feel I see with pastors. They get caught up in who they are. They get caught up in some leadership. They get caught up in what people say about them at times. And they start to lord things over people. They start to take advantage of their position. And they, and they get to the point to where they, they know they can almost force people to do things. That's why we see what we see right now in the news with pastors and sexual abuse. How they'll use their power for their gain. And how easy it is to slip into those things. And this wasn't something that Jesus was going to do. No, no. This first coming of Christ was not the time for him to lord over people. It was to come to be a sacrifice. Also, 
we see our hope is not in the physical prowess of Christ. Although this is what the people wanted, they wanted somebody to come in, they wanted somebody to fight the armies of Rome, to, the, to destroy Rome, to push the Gentiles out of town, to get them out of the plate, out of uh, Jerusalem, where they lived. Even though Jesus had the ability to do this, that at any moment he could have called on angels to come and to fight battles for him, to conquer and to destroy, he could have done this. And one day scripture says this will happen. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 through 46. We're not going to read it, but the separating of the sheeps and the goats. We're going to see God's might. That will happen. That will take place. But instead of Jesus coming and beating those who would not listen to him, instead he took the beating from those who would not listen to him. Again, this in man's plan does not make sense. When you lay this out to somebody who maybe doesn't know scripture, who doesn't know much about Christ, doesn't know much about the Bible, this would not be the plan. The plan would be send the son of God in power. Send him in majesty. Send him in might. Let him come and rule the nations. Let him come and conquer. Let everybody see with no doubt at all, this is God's chosen. Let it be known loudly. Let him conquer. Let him rule. Yet this is not the plan that God had. Instead, the plan of God is that hope is found in the fact that Christ has come with love and compassion for those who are broken. He was going to change the system in a way that was unexpected. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, this is why today you and I sitting here can say we have hope that's 100% sure. Because we understand that we are those sheep without a shepherd. Broken, lost because of sin. Our plans don't match up. It doesn't match up to God's plans. And so we strive for these things on our own and we've fallen short. Maybe you've tried to do this. You've tried to find success. You've tried to find your hope in your own plans. Maybe it's, you know, I'm going to, Maybe it's not politically, but maybe it's, I'm going to gather as many friends as I can around me. I'm going to let people love me and I'm going to find hope in this. And you find that that's fading, that all it takes is one little slip up and all those people don't like you anymore because of what you said or because of what you have done. Or maybe you said, no, it's going to be in my might. I'm going to be a businessman and I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign and I'm going to take over and I'm going to build up this empire by my might What you see is how easy that is for you to fail. Because number one, you get old and you get weak and you fall short. I don't know how you've been trying to find hope, but I can tell you this. The only place to find hope is in Christ's forgiveness of your brokenness and your sin. Is to realize that we don't match up to his standard. 
that because of our sin, we are separated from God. And the only way to have a relationship with God is through his son, Jesus, who's paid the price for our sin on that cross. You see, that's how salvation needed to come. That's why Jesus was willing to take a beating instead of be the one who would be beating on people because he knew he must take the beating to go in our place so that we could have his righteousness on us in our life. This is the hope we have. If your hope is found in the 2020 presidential campaign that we're about to all have to endure, there is no hope there. I don't care if your person gets voted in or not. There's absolutely no hope there. If your hope is in the strength of your own hands, you will be broken. You will fall short. You will realize that you do not have the strength to do what you think you can do on your own. I know that's very different than what the world teaches our kids or what we hear on TV and these other places that you can do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You're too weak. Or maybe you think you're smart enough and in the smoothness of your own words and in your own intellect, you'll be able to get by and find the hope that you have been hoping for. You will fall short there. There's always somebody smarter. There's always somebody just a little quicker. There's always somebody who people like a little more than you. Today, hope can only be found in Jesus. We celebrate the birth of a baby born in a manger to two parents who had nothing. We celebrate meekness and humility. We celebrate sacrifice. We celebrate servanthood that he followed. This is not the plan of man, but it's the plan of God and it's the plan that works. And so this morning, I really would beg of you to trust in Christ for your hope. You might have been coming here for a long time, but maybe for the first time, God's really opening your eyes to the truth that, man, is my hope really in Christ and who he is and what he's done? Or has my hope been in something else? Hope can only be found in Jesus, as it said in verse 21 of our passage. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Christ is our hope this Advent. And as we look back, knowing the hope that he has given us through his death, burial, and resurrection, we also have hope in the second Advent, as was mentioned earlier. In his return, when there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, when he will conquer with power, when he will rule with all might, with all wisdom. We look forward to that day. And so I do beg of you, if you're not a child of God this morning, you can be by trusting in Christ. And I hope you'll do that. It's nothing magical. It's nothing secretive. There's no steps really that you need to take, that you need to walk. It's just fully trusting and committing in Jesus and who he says he is and what he has done. That's what it is. You can do it right at your seat. If you have more questions, you can talk to me about it. I'd love to talk to you more about the gift of grace that God pours out.
and those he has chosen. I do, I would love to talk to you more about that. But for us this morning who experienced that hope, we know what that means. Let's live our lives as if we have hope. Let's live our lives as if it's 100% sure that it is a guarantee. Because I do think if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, there we would say sometimes, I know it should be 100%, but sometimes it's 95% hope. I'm really sure, but there's still this little wavering. Would you join me in praying that God would get rid of that 5% of doubt? to strengthen us and that we would walk around as if we have hope in Christ. Oh, not in this world, but in Christ, in Jesus. It's good news that we celebrate this Christmas season. It's good news that Christ has come and has given us hope. I would just beg of you as a Christian, act like it. Act like it's good news. And people will be attracted to that and you will have opportunity to share the hope that's in you. Let's bow together and pray this morning and we'll close with a a song here in a moment. God, I do pray that right now during the quiet of this moment, I trust that you are speaking to the heart of individuals in this room through your word. And God, I, I pray that it would be people who need to be saved, who need to trust in you with their life, who sit here right now with absolutely no hope. Oh, they might think they have hope in some things, but God, they're lost and destined for hell with no hope at all. God, open their eyes to your truth that Jesus has come so that we can have hope, so that we can have forgiveness of our sins so that we can live in him. And oh, the world may do all kinds of things to destroy our hope, but God, it can never be taken because God, you never leave us, you never forsake us. And it's you who saves us, not not ourselves, and nobody can stop that. And so God, I pray that even right now, you would be saving people, that you'd be pouring your grace out on them, revealing your truth to them, that they would see it for the first time. Maybe it's, something they've heard before, but they just thought it foolish. It wasn't as good as their plan. It wasn't as good as something they could have thought of. God, I pray that they would see the sweetness of your plan and sending your one and only son to die on that cross for our sins. God, we thank you for that. God, we celebrate that during the Christmas season. God, as Christians, I ask that you would help us to live a life of hope, of surety, not of doubt, but to have full faith in who you are and what you have done. And God, I pray that we would be so excited about what you are doing that we would be so apt to share that with other people, that it would be quickly be off of our tongues. God, because of the holiday season and everything, people are more apt and willing to listen to the gospel right now. Help us not to miss this time, but to be spending time praying that you would soften hearts, that you would save people, and that then we would be faithful to be your hands and feet out there sharing the good news of the gospel with our family, with our friends, with those who you put in our path. And God, we trust that you will do your work there as well. God, thank you that we have good news. Thank you that we have hope 
that is everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.